The Apothecary by Patricia Simpson Narrated by Patricia Simpson This is the first book in the Londo Chronicle series. Chapter 1 December 2506 Londo City, the Anglo Territories just five more days. Twenty-eight-year-old Joanna Wilder stepped off the train and into the swirling fog, lighter of heart than she had been for years. In just five more days, she would slough off the role of guardian to her wayward sister and become her own person at last. In five short days, she would start living her own life. There would be no more trouble or surprises. Joanna smiled and pulled her shawl around her shoulders. A clock had begun to tick inside her today, and each tick of the second hand sent anticipation surging through her chest. All she had to do was keep her sister Eva out of trouble until she entered the marriage machine with her government-selected husband. The task sounded simple enough, and... For most people it was, but with Eva, nothing was simple. Eva's reckless spirit, so ill-suited to the dark times they lived in, was a continual challenge for Joanna to manage. But soon, Eva would be wed, and her capricious nature would become the responsibility of her new husband. Then, and only then, would Joanna live her own life. Joanna slipped through the crowd at the platform, all she could see were blurred shapes of her fellow workers as they jostled through the thick fog, eager to get home. She hurried forward, anxious to meet her sister and get home as well. Walking the streets of Londo City in the dusk of December was dangerous. Everyone knew it. Fear hung in the mist like a fetid perfume. But Joanna would not let fear cling to her. Tonight, she would indulge. She would trust that life would get better. She would allow herself to be hopeful just this once. Joanna scampered toward Platform 5. The warm mist fogged up her spectacles, but she ignored it and pressed on. This was the favorite part of her day, meeting her sister's train after work, walking home for a simple dinner, and then going up to the secret rooftop garden where her real work began. Joanna had met her sister Eva at the number five platform every day for the past seven years, six days a week, and every week except the fortnight they got off for sea day. She had been both father and mother to Eva for even longer. Just as Joanna gained the top of the stairs above the number five platform, the fog rolled away, revealing the tracks below. Joanna stared, shocked by the view and her light heart plummeted. For the first time in seven years, the number five bay stood empty. Only a handful of people waited on the platform, gazing down the tracks as if to conjure the missing train from thin air. Eva was not among those waiting. Joanna clattered down the metal stairs to the platform, careful not to sketch her skirt on the ornate ironwork. 
It would be easy to trip in the fading light of the December afternoon. The last thing she needed was to injure herself and bring down more misfortune on her family. Excuse me. Joanna touched the elbow of a middle-aged woman with a prominent gap between her front teeth. Citizen Waldron? The woman waited for her husband every night, just as Joanna waited for Eva. Has the number five come and gone already? I couldn't say, Citizen Waldron replied, puffing on her cold hands to warm them. Just got here myself. It's usually here by now, a man in a cap remarked glancing past the platform and into the gloom that swallowed the tracks. Impatient, he slapped his cap against the side of his knee. And I don't like waiting here in the dark, I can tell you. We'll soon be out past the curfew. The man was right. It took at least twenty minutes to walk from the station to the outskirts of the government-approved townhouses, and twenty-five to Joanna and Eva's flat. If the authorities caught two young ladies walking the streets after dark, they could be fined, or worse, sent to the North Sea work camps and never heard from again. It was always a challenge to get home before dark, especially in winter. Joanna's worry ratcheted up a notch as the gears of the steam clock high above her head clicked into position. The clock whirred and whizzed and then tooted the hour. Five o'clock. The number five train was now twenty minutes late. For most people, a late train was a simple inconvenience. For Joanna, a late train meant much more. She turned her thoughts away from the past and refused to acknowledge memories that roared up behind her when she was weak or worried like this. Citizen Waldron sidled close. Joanna, do you have some of that licorice root I could buy? My boy is sick with the croup. It's the only thing that seems to help. I do. I, I could bring some to the next distribution. Any sooner? He's awful sick. We're both up all night with his coughing. Sometimes I think he'll stop breathing. I'm so worried for him. I can see what I can do. I could bring some by your place tonight, I suppose. You're an angel. I saved my ration of cheese. I'll give it to you if you come by. I wouldn't ask you to put yourself in danger, but I'm desperate. Don't worry. You can count on me. Joanna squeezed Citizen Waldron's forearm to reassure her, just as the man with the cap strode up. Where in the name of Wanda is that train? The man plopped his cap onto his balding head and gave it a swift pat. My wife'll have my hide if I'm late. Unease spiraled inside Joanna as a train arrived at Platform 2 and spilled out a load of weary workers. Joanna scanned the crowd pouring over the platform and up the ancient stairs, hoping against hope that Eva's train had been switched to arrive on an alternate track. Perhaps a bridge had collapsed or a stretch of track had come loose. The old rail system was beleaguered by such problems. But none of the disembarking riders was Eva. Joanna's worry surged to fear. Thomas! Jonah waved at Thomas Thorne, a young man who would have noticed Eva if he had seen her. He flirted shamelessly with Eva on every distribution day. 
Thomas paused to glance at Joanna as his fellow passengers jostled for a place on the stairs. His gaze darted down her figure and back up without a flicker of interest. Yes? Thomas, did you see the number five train on the way into town? That's right. The impatient man in the cap shouldered his way up to Joanna. Did you see the number five? I heard something about it, Thomas replied. Something happened. No one knows what yet. What do you mean? Joanna grabbed his arm and he pulled back, shocked that a woman would touch him so freely. It went off the tracks. That's all I know. The number five? Joanna gasped. Are you sure? He nodded. On that curb by the river. What about the passengers? Joanna clutched his arm again. Are they all right? I can't say, Joanna. Anxious to be on his way, the young man tried to yank out of her grip, but she held on, determined to get more facts. What did you see? Please, tell me. I couldn't see much in the fog. Sorry, that's all I know. I have to be going. He glared at her until she released him. Joanna watched him trot up the stairs as the full impact of what he'd just said hit her like a blow to the stomach. I guess I'll have to walk home, the man with the cap grumbled behind her. Of all the luck! She barely heard him. My sister is on that train, Joanna murmured. Her mouth went dry. She glanced down the empty tracks. The trail into darkness looked more ominous than ever. Her little sister, the only family she had left, and one of the few people in the world that she truly cared about, was on that train. Without a second thought, Joanna brushed her skirt to the side and dashed toward the edge of the platform. Joanna! Citizen Waldron shrieked. Joanna ignored her. No one was allowed on the tracks. She could be fined. Disobeying the law could ruin her reputation for life. Even worse, it was almost dark. No sane person stayed out after dark. People died in the dark in Londo. But there was no time to consider her social standing or her personal safety. Eva could be hurt. Eva could be out there injured and suffering, just like... Joanna shut off her imagination before it overwhelmed her. She had to get to Eva no matter what. She jumped off the platform, landed with a thud in the gravel at the side of the tracks, and set off running. That same afternoon, at the central compound, Londo City. There's been another incident. Silas Stone looked down at the note that had just been delivered. Gabriel felt his friend, Roman Brandt, come to attention behind him. The air shifted. What kind of incident? Gabriel asked, frustrated. He watched his older brother Silas scan the note for details. A train derailment. Silas frowned, and his handsome face creased into the formidable mask that terrified almost everyone around him, except his younger brother and, of course, Roman. Nothing scared Roman. It was as if he had a death wish, which only served to make him more indomitable than he already was. Train derailment? Gabriel leaned back. This was all he needed. 
his request for a program change would be put on hold yet again if Silas had to devote his attention to keeping law and order. Everyone knew that law and order was a priority. Even absent-minded scientists like Gabriel knew it. But he didn't have to like it. Another delay was not what he needed right now. The rabble issue is getting worse. Silas threw a dark glance at Roman. And it must be stopped. Gabriel heard Roman heave a heavy sigh. <sighs> More rabble? Roman asked, annoyed. He paced the floor behind Gabriel's chair. Who is doing this? Roman was forever pacing, always glaring out of windows and cutting people off with impatient gestures. He was not the type of man to remain indoors long. He was not the best of partners in the strange venture they'd undertaken either, but he was the only man Gabriel trusted in the whole of Londa City. As if Silas had been considering Roman's question and had finally decided to answer, he lowered the note to the blotter and looked up from his massive desk. I don't know who is doing this. Silas crumpled the paper and threw it across the room. But you can be sure I'm going to find out. Silas shoved back his chair and stood up, out of respect for his older and more powerful brother, the leader of the overseers and also his source of revenue. Gabriel rose as well. He tried not to measure himself against his brother, but every time he stood next to Silas, he was aware of the disparity in their physical attributes. Silas had been born with everything. Confidence, impressive shoulders and legs, and compelling blue eyes that had won him countless female admirers. He'd also inherited the family estate. That had won him the few stragglers who remained unaffected by his looks. But Silas had not turned into a pretty wastrel like so many of his peers. He possessed a fine mind, amazing drive, and a ruthless business acumen that not only had saved the family fortune, but also had saved mankind from extinction. All his life, Gabriel had lived in the shadow of his big brother, never as strong, never as fast, and certainly never as good-looking. As the second son, he should have gone into the military. He would have in the old days, and he would have been a complete failure. He wasn't good at throwing his weight around and killing things. He could no more have commanded a regiment, as Roman had in Prussia, than he could have flown to the moon. Not even horses obeyed him. Even now, his second life still found him wanting in comparison to his brother. But Gabriel didn't begrudge Silas his good fortune. He couldn't blame his brother for having been blessed with a superior set of genes. That's just the way Mother Nature had rolled the dice. And, to Silas's credit, he had never teased his younger brother for being shorter, clumsier, and cursed with a mop of burnished red hair. Mother Nature had done enough to Gabriel with that single physical trait. He didn't need to be tormented further. No, there was only one thing Gabriel begrudged Silas. Caroline. 
Caroline, he would never forget. And Silas, he would never forgive. Not now, not ever. But in the meantime, Silas added, breaking into Gabriel's spiraling thoughts, I want you and Roman to go to the scene of the accident and put a stop to the plundering. Roman padded toward Silas's huge desk. In any way I see fit, he asked. You have carte blanche, Colonel. With a press of a button, Silas opened a concealed door in the paneling behind his desk. As for you, Gabriel, I have something for you to take along as a safeguard. A safeguard? A weapon, made especially for you. Silas reached into the closet and produced a walking stick. Gabriel looked at it, surprised. What could a walking stick do to stop a pack of murdering hoodlums? His surprise soon turned to appreciation, however, as he surveyed the weapon. The cane was beautifully made, from the gold handle molded in the shape of a horse head, down the smooth ivory length, to the fine gold sleeve at the tip. It was a cane he could take to the opera, had there still been such a thing. How he missed the opera. Listen, Silas, I'm not the man for this job, surely. I'm a scientist, not a soldier. But you are one of the oldest among us. The rabble may listen to you. But, and I have given you a special weapon to assist you. This is a weapon? Gabriel balanced the cane in both hands and eyed it doubtfully. Silas smiled. At times, he could look like a satisfied cat. At least as Gabriel had remembered cats looking. He hadn't seen a dog or cat in Londo since the grave mistake. Yes, it's a weapon. I don't understand. Do I just thwack someone over the head with it? Twist it in your hands. Gabriel twisted the cane, and the two ivory cylinders rotated with a clicking sound. Out of the tip poked a wicked blade, no larger than a pen, but far more deadly. It's been especially designed, Silas explained. We're killing hoodlums. Roman stuck out his gloved hand. Give me that, Gabriel. Gabriel gladly relinquished the weapon. Holding the thing had sent a shiver of disgust over him. He could sense the damage the cane would inflict. Perhaps it had already been used to end someone's life. It's been specifically designed to impale the human heart. Silas gazed at the weapon with satisfaction while Roman inspected it. Just the right length, just the right heft. The victim will barely feel it. In, out, done. He smiled again. His hypnotic eyes glowed like shards of ice in the dim light of his office. Roman nodded and held the cane out for Gabriel to take into his hands again. Come then, Gabriel, he said. Time is of the essence. Gabriel nodded, but had trouble convincing his feet to follow Roman. He'd come to tuck budgets and funding. He had not expected to be ordered to kill anyone, especially with a wicked gold-tipped cane. What train line, he asked, looking back at his brother and stalling for time. Number five, near that curve in the river.